Okay, last part. Titus chapter 3. You're going to start together at verse 9 right through to the end. This is God's word. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So this is uh, the end. We've just been thinking of uh, this letter of Paul. He, he wrote this letter and um, it tells us, as we've been learning over the last seven weeks, it tells us about his vision for what healthy churches should look like. And so we've seen this main theme come out throughout um, the, the, the book, the letter. Uh, get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape you. We've seen that come through the entire letter. Uh, this is the, the big theme of how to get a healthy church. And, and so we saw at the beginning of the letter how um, Paul considers himself to be bringing truth to uh, the churches, truth to the world. And this isn't truth that's come from his own mind or from human philosophy. This is truth that has been given to him from God. It came from God. It's God's revelation of himself, his plan, uh, what God is going to do. And, uh, you know, something that was in God's mind before the ages began, revealed through Jesus. And it says this, this truth was entrusted to Paul, the apostle, the servant. Uh, and this is a truth then that was, was shared with Titus and by Titus and, and, and taken to the churches. And when people heard the message, the truth, and they were transformed uh, from the inside out by the good news of Jesus, they, they formed uh, into communities uh, of like-minded people who also were transformed and loved Jesus uh, based on this message. And so what we're going to see today then, um, just really as a summary and a conclusion to everything we've learned so far, is that uh, living and learning the truth first of all, leads to healthy community. Living and learning the truth leads to healthy community. And secondly, we're going to see living and learning the truth leads to impactful mission. All right? Healthy community, impactful mission. Don't forget the purpose of Paul's writing here, um, practically speaking, is to um, instruct Titus, who's the, the individual addressed by the letter, to, to implement Paul's vision uh, for the churches in, in Crete. Uh, and so uh, Titus, his first job was to identify elders, spiritual leaders within the church, uh, men who get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape them. And, and these are uh, individuals who are to be able to stand up on the basis of the truth and to be able to take on the false teachers. And we saw that uh, in, in talk number three. Uh, false teachers have, have, it says, have turned away from the truth um, they have used the truth to, to, to build a, a platform for themselves, to, to manipulate people, to do what they want. Rather than being transformed by the truth, they have been using the truth. And so elders, according to, to Paul, are to tackle such teaching, such people. Um, that's why he, he says of elders, they are to hold firm the trustworthy word, this, this truth, this message. They're to, to hold it 
firm, they're to give instruction, and they're to be able to rebuke those who contradict that truth. And don't forget, that's truth that has come from God, revealed to Paul, preached and proclaimed. And it's that truth um, that gives the elders their confidence to be able to push back against fake versions of the gospel. And their, their, their role, uh, just in summary, their role is to lead. We've been seeing this. Uh, elders are to, to teach the truth, but they're to live uh, the example. It's about getting the truth straight and allowing the truth to shape them. And they're to be men who are upstanding and, and clearly leading in teaching, but also through their example. And, and by doing that, they're to protect the church, they're to guard the church, they're to cheer on the church, they're to cheer on uh, and facilitate healthy community, springing up a vibrant life-giving community, and that all comes when uh, they get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape them. So that's really the background then to these final comments that Paul gives to Titus in his letter. And, um, and so he says, look, you, you thought about elders, you thought about your relationships with one another, you thought about your uh, interactions with the world, and we've covered that again in, 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 our, in our series. But he says, look, um, one of the ways to... Uh, bring a healthy community to bear, to, to, to grow up a healthy community, he says in verse 9, is to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, because that stuff is unprofitable, it is worthless, it is junk. And you, you might remember that this is kind of repeating and picking up the theme of the teaching of the fake teachers. That stuff is junk, that is worthless. And so Paul returns to this theme again. He's sort of reinforcing something he considers to be really important for the early church in Crete. So he says to the elders, to the community at large, he says, avoid this kind of talk among you. Um, this, this blind ending tracks, these rub, rabbit tunnels of endless nonsense. He says, it's, it's rubbish. Stop it. And look, some, some parts of, of, of Christian teaching, of course, are um, controversial, right? Uh, you just need to look at Jesus and how quite often he was having uh, heated debates with religious leaders in, in the gospel accounts. Or look at, look at Paul himself who wrote this letter. He, he, he was not unfamiliar with contra, controversy. Uh, he was stoned, he was beaten, uh, he was imprisoned several times. Because people hated his message, they hated the truth. So, so we know that there's something deeply controversial about the claims of the Christian faith, right? But that's not what Paul is addressing here in this text. He's actually saying, avoid foolish controversies. Not avoid controversy, because you can't avoid it, but foolish controversy. Avoid the stuff that is pointless, that is needless, that is, that is not to do with the truth of God that we're so careful to, to talk about. Now, what, what are these controversies? Well, he gives a bit of detail here in verse 9. Conversations, uh, heated debates within the churches, within the communities. They might be vaguely religious in nature. He says they're, you know, um, quarreling about uh, genealogies, you know, sort of extensive family trees and working out who's more spiritually superior based on their position within the, uh, the, the genealogies. Quarrels about the religious law, you know, um, Myths, uh, superstitions, conspiracy theories, all that stuff, says Paul, is just going to crush and divide. It's rubbish, he says. Just kick it out. Stop it. And for us today, um, the kind of 
divisive talk that we're thinking about here that Paul was addressing. There's a million and one different ways that this, this may come up and crop up, even within us, even within our little community. Um, whether it's our political affiliations, uh, maybe it's our views on the, on the COVID virus and how that should be handled. Uh, maybe it's in promotion of some dubious religious or Christian teaching or teachers, uh, you know, fan clubs rising up. Uh, how, how, we should, how we should live, how we should react, how we should respond to big issues out there, how, what we should eat, all these things. These could all become uh, religious sort of uh, quarrels and quibbles within the local church. But here's the, here's the main issue. When a, when a minor thing, a very minor thing, becomes a very major thing within the church in terms of its conversation and the energy spilt, when a minor thing becomes a major thing, there's a problem. There's going to be an issue. Uh, when there's more heat generated than light, there's a problem. Uh, when parties start dividing within the church, there's a problem. When the community is disunited and fractured, there's a problem. And so Paul, through Titus, to the elders and to the community said, deal with it. Do not turn a blind eye. Sort it out now. This is urgent. This is crucial. This is code red. How, how is the church to tackle this kind of divisive talk within the church? Well, he gives us some practical steps in verse 10. How are we to do it? He says, first of all, in verse 10, he says, identify the culprit or culprits, the main players in this situation. He says, as for the person who stirs up division. Uh, find these people, get to the root of where this is coming from, right? Many people can get caught up in taking sides and getting sucked into various conspiracy theories, but where did it start? As best as you can find out, where did it start? And then he says here, uh, warn him once and then twice, and then after that, have nothing to do with him. Or by the way, her, right? This can apply to men and women equally in this situation. And, and, and what we're seeing here is a very sort of truncated and summarized version of what we've come to understand as, uh, in this church as church discipline. Uh, we, this is the term given to help people um, you know, uh, realize negatives and realize sin patterns in their own life and to be given a chance to see them and to turn away from them and turn back to Christ. That's what the aim of church discipline is all about. And so what we're seeing here in a very summarized format is Paul's stepwise approach to dealing with an issue, and particularly here with divisive talk that's splitting the church up. And there's great wisdom here in what Paul is saying, even though it's in very summarized form. Um, he, he's not saying that you just identify the main players in the problem group and then kick them all out immediately. That's not what he's saying. You know, immediate expulsion. He's not saying that. In fact, what we have here is a measured, stepwise approach um, to, to always aiming for uh, restoration and restoring, uh, sorry, and repentance and healing for those who have wandered away from the truth. So warn them once, and not just like 10 minutes later, warn them a second time, right? Bring up an individual's sin, their issues, the problems, and allow them to go before God and, and, and bring that before him and, and allow time to repent and turn around and seek, uh, seek grace and seek forgiveness where necessary and, and, and all that. That's what we're doing. And then a second time, if that doesn't work out, you go again 
Uh, you, you repeat the process, possibly with, with, with other elders involved or what have you, but you still are trying to help that person to turn away from their sin and their divisive behavior. And then many weeks uh, or so later, if there is no response, says Paul, um, if they are not interested, if they are just hardened uh, with time rather than open to, to growth and grace, then you've got no other option, says Paul. It is time to open the back door of the church and let them out. There's nothing more you can do. They need, as a last resort, individuals like this need to be removed from the church. That's what Paul teaches. Of course, I just want to highlight this whole process here doesn't happen over a five-minute coffee. This happens over weeks. Uh, it seeks to, re- uh, to bring repentance and restoration. Uh, that's the end game here, to restore someone back to community. But it might mean, once you start down that process, that ultimately and eventually you can't help the individual. They don't want to be helped. They are settled in their, uh, in their ways. And Paul uses these two words here, warped and sinful, to describe such a person. Um, they are self-condemned, all right? You're just, you're just recognizing what they are and who they are. Um, they don't want to honor God. They don't want to get his truth straight. They don't want to allow his truth to shape them. So Paul says, recognize and remove as a last resort. And here's the thing, right? This is, this is a necessary part of what it means to have a healthy Community, and we've we've touched on this over the, the the months and years at Foundation Church. We've talked about church discipline and church membership and what that all means. And so you can go on, on online and look that up uh, if you want and get some more information on, on our position regarding um, this this teaching. Um, but but this is what we're trying to build here at Foundation Church Belfast. Just so you know, we're trying to build a, a healthy community. Um, one, one that is honoring to Jesus, a community that gets the truth straight and allows the truth to shape it. And that means that, that where necessary, we pay attention to anything that destroys or upsets or, 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 or challenges that in the context of foolish controversy and, and, and dissensions that are going to split uh, churches into multiple groups. We want to be all over that. We want to be on top of that um, so that we might become a healthy community or mission for Jesus uh, we want to become a, a, a community that's built on this sublime truth of the gospel. We were looking at that last week. Uh, devoted to good works. A, a community that is excellent and profitable uh, by the way um, that it responds to, to God's grace upon us. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And so we need to arm ourselves right, against this all too common problem. Um, that, that, that in my experience and my knowledge of, of the local scene and also my reading of history, so often the breaks of, of a movement of the Holy Spirit, the breaks are put on by our human sin. And often it's because of division and splits and, and, uh, and ident- you know, people who, who think too highly of themselves. That is what puts the breaks on of God's uh, um, movement, uh, the Holy Spirit's work, through various movements and various churches. And so uh, we don't want to be the, a kind of church that slides into bickering and dissensions and splits and factions. Just to be clear, right, the, the enemy loves churches like that. The world expects churches to be like that. And, and our nation, of all, of all places, has seen enough of churches like that. Um, but it doesn't need to be the case. This is not inevitable for us as a church. If we get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape us, if our spiritual leaders are committed to walking it out, then we can expect 
to grow healthy and united and vibrant as a community in love with God, bearing the truth in our words and actions. That's what we want. That's what we have already here. And let me just give you, before we move on to our, our second point, let me just give you a word of comfort um, and consolation if you've been with us from the very early days at Foundation Church. Um, building healthy is a way slower process. Um, we, we've been, we have been putting down solid foundations um, at Foundation Church since the, the very first day of our existence as a church, publicly gathering uh, for worship. February 2017, if we take that as our, our start day, date. Um, we've been putting solid foundations ever since then. And, and perhaps you have, um, you know, been a bit discouraged over, over that time. Uh, from moment to moment, perhaps you think to yourself, this is actually a lot slower and harder than I was expecting at the start. Uh, maybe a lot slower than you hoped, of course, you know. Uh, we would all love to see uh, the fruit of God's work among us um, clearly. Um, and, and so putting down solid foundations is a, is a much slower process than building something that is top-heavy and topples over uh, very easily indeed. We don't want that. We don't want to... Uh, to uh, we, want, we want to listen to God. We want to go where he's taking us. And if that means doing the hard things for a few years and just building those solid foundations, that's what we'll do. That's what I'm here to do. Uh, but I just want to encourage you as well. Like, I, I still have faith. Uh, I still have faith that we're in a preparation phase. Uh, and yet, yet I am, and I know some of you are very much spurred on uh, and the, knowing that God is, is working and has plans for us and, and we're spurred on by this biblical vision that we see here of, of healthy churches and, and strong communities that represent Jesus so clearly. And we've been augmented over our time by wonderful prophetic uh, words and encouragement uh, from those within our, our community, but also from outside, speaking over us and encouraging us and, uh, and um, you know, uh, just, just uh, cheering us on. So living and learning the truth, as we're seeing, um, will lead to a healthy community, but you've got to be prepared for the grind, to do the hard work, the stuff that doesn't get onto Instagram. Are you ready? Second thing that we're going to look at then is living and learning the truth, in summary, um, will lead to an impactful mission. Okay? Of course, the, the, the linked healthy communities will have an impactful mission, an impactful influence out there in the world. And we've been saying from, from day one, we are a community, yes, of people together, loving Jesus, enjoying him, uh, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, serving one another. Yes, yes, yes. But we're a community on mission, right? Which means that, the, that we exist for a purpose outside of ourselves, uh, that there is a direction of travel uh, in, in what we're doing. It is the mission. It is, it is where we're going. What is that mission? Well, in, in, in grand terms, in big picture thinking, it, it is quite simply the mission of the church there's always been, which is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who are empowered by his spirits to go out and make a difference in the world. That's our mission. Glorify God, make disciples, empowered by his spirits. That's been our part of our DNA from, from the very early days, from 2017 up until now. And, and, and what we get in, in our final verses then, in 12 through to 15, is, is a snapshot of the inner workings of a community on mission, the very early days 
of a community on mission. We get a snapshot of this interconnectedness, the sharing of, of resources, and it's just such a, a great encouragement and a vision uh, for, for us and for, for every church since, since these days. Um, you know, if you ever read through such scriptures, by the way, um, in, in whatever way you process the Bible in quiet times or, or scripture reading times, whatever, um, if you're anything like me, sometimes you'll jump over the last bit or just sort of skim through it because it just seems to be like irre- irrelevant details that don't really affect anything to do with us in the here and now. Um, but I hope to show you in the next few moments that these verses are anything but ir- irrelevant for us um, as a church. So uh, what, what do we have here? Well, don't, don't forget, again, Paul to Titus on the island of Crete and Titus's role is to put what remained into order, it says in chapter 1, verse 5. Put what remained into order. Titus was the, the organizer. He was the guy to come and bring structure to support the, the growing vine of the church, if you like. He was to come and bring the trellis uh, to enow, enable the vine to grow uh, strong. Uh, he, he was there to support new believers, to support new developing communities. He was the organizer. Titus was the implementer. And yet we read uh, that Titus was most likely, uh, we think, a strong leader. He, he was sent there to address the fake teaching that was doing the rounds in Crete, destroying the church, church distracting the believers. And so he was to go there um, to be a strong leader, but yet to be uh, an exemplary model as well about how you should live a life, how the truth should shape you. Uh, exemplary, diplomatic, right? We talk about older men and older women, younger men, younger women. He had to figure out a way to um, minister to them compellingly uh, the gospel of Jesus and show them how to live it out. So that's, that's Titus, and that's what we glean from, from careful reading of this letter. He's the organizer, the implementer, the strong leader. Um, but in verse 12, Paul seems to be sending uh, reinforcements or substitute or something like that. Um, he says, you know, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to stay there for the winter. Spend the winter there. Um, what he's saying is, look, when your job in Crete is done, and when these two other guys show up, or one of, one of the two of them shows up, uh, I, I need you with me in Nicopolis. Um, this is the only mention of this particular town in the Bible. We don't really know a lot about it. It's, it seems to be a winter port, a place where people would go um, to wait for the seasonal bad weather to pass to enable sailing and, and trade to continue again over the seas. And, and Paul most likely was there, and he, he, he saw multiple opportunities for the gospel, right? All these traders and merchants from across the, the, the known world gathered in towns such as Nicopolis, and Paul thinks to himself, we've got new believers here, they've heard the gospel, I need Titus with me, I need him to come and help me organize and structure and, and show and be an example in the town of Nicopolis. I need you with your skills to come with me. That's why I'm sending you Artemis or Tychicus to you. We don't have any information on Artemis, who he is or, or what he was like, but we do have information on the other name that's listed there, Tychicus. He's mentioned a few times in Paul's letters. Uh, he's described in Ephesians 6 as a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord. Um, he's described in Colossians 4 as, as someone who is sent to the church of Colossae, Colossae um, to encourage your hearts and to, uh, so that you might know how we are. So, so it seems to be that the Tychicus was, was someone who was sent to help and strengthen churches through encouragement, uh, encourage their hearts. And, and so this is probably his role in Crete, 
the, the organizer and the enforcer, as the, the um, implementer has, has been taken out, in goes the encourager, the visionary, the one who reminds the churches that they are on mission for Jesus, who, who encourages them with word of the mission elsewhere in the land. You know, stories of faith from other churches. That's what Tychicus does. He brings encouragement. He builds up and he strengthens in a different way to how Titus does it. But he doesn't stop there in verse 13. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Scholars reckon that these two names are those who brought the letter that we're reading here to Titus in the first place. They took it from the hand of Paul, traveled the necessary distance and went to Crete and found Titus and presented him with this letter. Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. But note, Zenos, look at, look at his profession, what he did for a job. He was a lawyer. You know, he, he, he was an expert in, in, in Roman law. We have here someone who is educated, who's a, a clever guy. Um, maybe he could come and help churches in their various legal issues. Maybe he could go and uh, provide advice to churches, maybe even to help them achieve justice if they were being hauled into court by those who hated on the church. Either way, Zenos... Uh, you know, is an is a, is a educated, respected member of the society. Zenos and with him, Apollos. And again, not just a small fry here. Uh, God loves small fries, by the way, but he also uses men like Apollos. Uh, Apollos features quite frequently in Acts and uh, 1 Corinthians, the letter. Uh, Apollos was someone of a Jewish background, uh, but in Acts 18, he, he is presented as someone who is eloquent and competent in the scriptures. You know, he's a powerful preacher. He was a, a teacher, and he, he, he showed many fellow Jews and Gentiles uh, to see that Jesus was the Messiah. And we see that in Acts 18 and Acts 19 and, and 1 Corinthians, the letter. He was someone who was highly regarded by the early church. He was an influential preacher. And so we have him, we have this cultured lawyer, both of them taking the letter to Crete. And so far from being a job that was below them for, for, for men of that sort of stature, they relished the chance of the visit, taking Paul's letter to Titus so that they too may go and with their own giftings and calling, strengthen the churches and take them forward another, another notch. In, in the favor of God. And so, yeah, I, I love this vision that we're getting here, just this snapshot in these few verses that we're tempted to, to, to rush over. I love this vision. We've got Paul the Apostle, called and, and sent by Jesus. Uh, we've got Titus the implementer, the structure guy. We've got Tychicus the, the encourager. We've got Zenos the lawyer with his legal expertise. We've got Apollos the great preacher. All of them working among the churches. All of them there to serve and to strengthen and to build up the believers in Jesus. Others uh, more recently have called this approach to ministry translocal ministry, you know, across and among the local gatherings of the church. You've got these great people doing great work, blessing and encouraging the local churches. But don't forget, the local church is still a key part here. Um, you know, Paul, Paul says to Titus and therefore to the church, he says, um, do your best to speed Zenos and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And he goes on to say, let our people, that is our, you know, 
uh, the believers in Jesus, the disciples, let, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It is the local church. It is the local church who are there to speed, to resource, to bless, to push on uh, these people so that other, other communities may also be blessed and strengthened and encouraged. It's the local church that's to use their resources, their money, their giftings to promote the gospel, to advance the kingdom. And in this context, good works are described as helping these, these, these translocal gospel ministers, freeing them up so they can fulfill their, their greatest potential. Of course, local churches do other things as well, but the focus here is, is, on, is on that. So whether it's the trans-local team of, 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 of gifted ministers going around blessing and encouraging with, 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 uh, with their gifting, or whether it's the local churches likewise with uh, the body uh, of Christ, um, good works, showing, you know, being an influence in their community, all that stuff, um, all of them, every single person here, every, every, every realm, plays a critical role in impactful mission. Um, Living and learning the truth leads to impactful mission. And of course, we, we saw last week as we put the spotlight on our partnership with Advance, the Advance movements, and how we as Foundation Church are engaging in this level of, of ministry and mission. Um, we have thought about how we have been blessed, and those of you who have been with us for some time will know we have been blessed by other churches within the Advance movement. Um, we've we've been given some, some uh, financial support um, from time to time, which has been greatly, uh, um, greatly used and, and really thankful for that. Uh, we've had uh, visitors come and, come and uh, sorry, leaders come and visit with us and strengthen us and, uh, and, and, and encourage me particularly. It's been great. And we've had those come and preach to us, uh, either through online preaching or, or um, in, in person. That's been brilliant. But yet, as a church, we've been able to contribute as well, um, whether it's through the emergency appeal uh, that, we, that we gave to over, over summer for churches in Nepal and India who are, who are really struggling with the COVID um, pandemic. Uh, through our prayers, we've been able to contribute through our encouragement, through our relationships. And this has all helped us to be impactful on mission. We've seen it through advance as a church. We've seen it in the city as well. We've seen this kind of um, churches helping churches and, and believers helping believers. We've seen that taking place, flowing both ways in the city uh, of Belfast. Uh, we have been strengthened and encouraged by other leaders in our city who are on the same mission, who have the same goal to, 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 to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we've been able to help others through giving and supplying, preaching and teaching into their churches and serving them. I don't know if you remember a, year, a couple of years ago, a few of us went to a congregational church in, in the city to, to support them and to do teaching and to encourage them. Um, and, uh, and so that's just one way that we've been able to do this. And we've been able to support practically one of our friends, a minister who joined us for Alpha, you know, Jono. Um, he's now running Alpha in his own church, and, and he's needed some, uh, some IT backup, and so Paul has been able to go and provide that. Um, just ways that we have been able to encourage and help uh, other churches as well. And, and this, is, of course, is just the beginning. We hunger for more um, indeed. In fact, just as we uh, bring this point to a close, I, 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 my vision um, is, is very much that we will become a, a resourcing 
church, a church that is able to send out, uh, send out uh, and, and support uh, qualified, gifted people who can serve and strengthen other churches. That's what I want Foundation Church to be renowned for, um, as it's renowned for Jesus. Uh, whether it's to be a Titus implementer, an Apollos preacher, a Zenos lawyer, a Tychicus encourager, we don't need to wait until we're a church of 250 with so many thousand pounds in the bank before we can start ministering and helping others in our city. We're already doing that, and even though we're smaller number at this stage, it's something that we can do right now, and we are doing, so be encouraged. Living and learning uh, the truth, sorry, learning and living the truth uh, leads to healthy communities, number one. Learning and living the truth leads to an impactful mission, number two. Let me challenge you as we close out this series and this message. Three ways that I want to challenge you uh, today, and, and, and perhaps you can respond in one or all of these ways. Uh, first challenge, number one, is to commit yourself. Under God, commit yourself to joining us here at Foundation Church Belfast, that this is the place where you will get the truth straight and allow the truth to shape you. Uh, that you will make this your spiritual home, that you will plant your, your family down here, the, the place where you will come and be embraced and embrace others in community. Challenge number one, commit to joining us at Foundation Church. How does that look specifically um, here? Well, we, we believe and we operate a, a process of, of membership here, local church membership, where you publicly identify yourself and are affirmed by the, the, the church as one of us. Uh, you know, uh, we receive you into membership and we say, yes, um, you know, you're one of us and we, we're here to love you and serve you and care for you and, you know, uh, yank you back if you start wandering. That's what we're here for. Um, and so what does that mean? How does that look? Well, that, that starts, uh, that pathway starts as a conversation about your faith, uh, what you understand about Jesus and the gospel. Um, then it's a conversation about the church, its vision, its beliefs. Um, and then finally that ends in a, in a, in a moment on a Sunday of, of, of affirmation, um, affirming that you are one of us and that you have placed your flag in the ground here at Foundation Church Belfast. If you want to put your roots down in Foundation, you haven't done that yet, um, please do come talk to me, come message me during the week, whatever way you want to get in touch, it's fine. Commit, number one. Number two, give. Give to the mission. Give. Um, it flows on from the first one, right? Once you're committed, and as you're committed, then, then uh, you know, giving and, and, and resourcing the mission of the church flows from that. Um, as, as the Bible makes it painfully clear to us at times, money and what we do with our money is a major marker of our deepest inclinations as people. So, so in other words, how we use our own money, no matter how much it is in relation to other people, how, much, how we use our money uh, points to what we value and prioritize in life. It just does. Me included. So... Get the truth straight. Allow the truth to shape you. And as you do so, give to the mission of the church. And that is to remind you, glorify God by making disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that means resourcing. That means supporting those who are called and gifted uh, to advance the gospel as we aim to multiply out through planting and renewing churches across our city and across Ireland. 
I know this sounds like big talk right now, given where we stood and how many are here. Uh, but we have a big God, and we have big faith and a vision for what he wants us to do. Um, we'll worry about the money side of things later. But um, that's where we're heading. And so if you want to commit, you want to give, um, we'd love that. You can do that online um, by going to our website, and you can see some uh, details on that. Text giving is available as well. Um, on the back of your sheet, there's a number you can, you can text in um, as well. Commit, give, third and final challenge, go. I don't mean go home all you can but um, churches in my experience churches particularly very sadly painfully to me uh, churches in our city typically hoard people and resources they do they're not missional and I'm not saying that we're immune from that just because we're a small hip church plant Um, we are not immune from that at all but that attitude of hoarding people and resources from the city Um, is foreign to the scriptures that we've just been reading. And Paul, uh, the early church, the other apostles who have written scripture, all promote an open-handed and generous response to other churches, um, whether it's in the same province, the same realm, or just simply occupying the same globe. An open-handed response, supporting um, and blessing others. And so I want to ask, as we close out, how can you go? How can you commit to going? Um, maybe you have a role in identifying and equipping others to leave and serve outside the church Uh, maybe you yourself are being challenged to encourage and strengthen other churches Uh, maybe you have this apostolic drive maybe you desire to be in the the process of strengthening other churches in order to serve them um, so they may also glorify God through making disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit Commit, give, go.